From Los Angeles, California, on the MTV Podcast Network, this is North Mollywood. I am Alex Papadimus. Across the table, she's a little tired of telling people it's pronounced Frankenstein. Molly Lambert. Frankenstein? Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Uh, R.I.P. Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder. Peace to Gene Wilder. What up, Alex? How are you? So much has happened. We've been off for uh, nine years. Yeah. It feels like nine years. The second sun came out. <laughs> it is. We're in the dune world now. Dune world. It's just the moon. The moon is a... Uh, the mouse moon is rising over uh, Los Angeles. And yeah, we've done a lot of things. I, I went to New York for a while. I went to the VMAs. I, I, I passed in the, in the in the orbit of uh, many of many celebrities. How close did you get to Kim Kardashian? I was so close to Kim Kardashian, but I didn't see her. I was standing <laughs> next to MTV correspondent Meredith Graves, who was on uh, like six inch heels. I was not. Kim Kardashian is diminutive. She's very diminutive. She is like your height. I was just thinking about how her greatest tragedy is that there's no plastic surgery to make you taller. <laughs> Everything else is post human, but like yeah, you can just, yeah, like you can't become taller and. Every short person wants to be taller. No, but I would have freaked out. I would have lost my mind if I had encountered her. I just actually, like, I'm very excited to report that I just got in the mail from uh, our uh, illustrious PR folks in New York the Kim Kardashian seat card from the VMAs. It is sitting at my seat. You are going to put it in the passenger seat of your car and drive it everywhere, right? I'm going to, anytime I vacate any chair from now on, I will place it there as, as like it is a sacred artifact. I'm which excited is what it is. for you to enter the Lars and the Real Girl phase of your life where you just bring a cardboard <laughs> cardboard real, with a picture of Kim Kardashian on it everywhere. real budget Lars and the Real Girl. Where is that? It's no, none of that. It's just a piece of foam core with a piece of paper taped to it. Well, and it's like, for $4 million, we could own the... Uh, uh, sculpture that's in Famous, I just heard. Oh, man. I'm looking into that. It comes with batteries if you want them to keep breathing. Wait, you can own like one of those bodies? You can own the whole thing for $4 million. <laughs> you can it. own the whole bed. <laughs> oh, oh, the entire... Yeah. Oh, wow. So like you can display it in your home. Yeah. Next to your Damien Hirst shark or whatever you have. <laughs> Next to your collection of dead bodies. <laughs> <laughs> your other... Yes, your other dead body collections. Um, yeah, that was cool. Uh, it happened. But you did something. I did something also magical. Equally, equally magical. magical. While we were gone, something I've never done, um, despite having lived in Los Angeles and and liking weird things. Yeah, uh, for all this, time. I had also never done it, despite living in Los Angeles and liking weird things. I've been to Yamashiro, but I've never been as you did to the Magic Castle. The Magic Castle. The Magic Castle is a magician's country club that civilians can visit if they have an invite specifically from a magician. Uh, my friend Emma has a friend, Nancy, who is in the Magicians Association, and she got us the passes, and then Emma invited me to join her at the Magic Castle. And the thing that I didn't know is you have to dress up. That's the main thing, is you have to wear like a dress and you know something nice, which is not a thing I own, really, but I, I made do. And you have to wear a sport coat if you're a man and real shoes. Can't wear flip-flops at the Magic Castle. And uh, even like leather shoes. Like uh, my boyfriend tried to get him wearing boat shoes and they were like, no, not fancy enough. Please wear these house leather shoes. They, wait, we... they give you shoes? Yeah. That well, it's is... like, you know, like a fancy restaurant. It'll have jackets for people who don't have jackets. <laughs> not shoes. <laughs> no, not shoes. But there's like bowling shoes. They gave him shoes. And he was kind of like, should I just 
wear these shoes out. They're nicer than my my real shoes. I think if you steal shoes from the Magic Castle, you right. are probably... Right, that's what we said. You, we you, were go, like, you wake up sawed in half. Yeah. No curse allowed. So we gave them back. But, you know, I, I'm a big complainer about anywhere you have to dress up nice, but this was actually, like, the right place to do it because it's built in 1962, I believe, and it's so weird in early 60s inside... And everybody looks like they're in the early 60s. It's very Mad Men in a way that is delightful. Um, the inside of the Magic Castle, it is a mansion, essentially, in Hollywood. You can, like, see it from the street. Uh, I've never been near it. And it is a three-story mansion with six different theaters in it. And then you go from theater to theater to see magic. Also, there are no windows. <laughs> uh it is very much like what I imagine the Playboy Mansion would be like in that it's very early 60s and just stayed there. It's like a lot of red velvet and dark wood and stuff like that. And there are magicians everywhere. There is a magician bartender in the basement who our friend Leah Beckman told me to visit, who does magic while he makes drinks. And uh, just wandering magicians doing tricks everywhere. And then you sort of, there's like a schedule and you go to different theaters to see different types of magic. So there's like a close-up magic theater. We, the first thing we saw was in the basement and it turned out to be uh, a combination of improv and magic. At which point we all wondered if we had made a horrible mistake <laughs> going to the magic castle. Um, we got tricked into seeing improv, but these guys who are called the charlatans, uh, they were actually good. They um, they do magic tricks inside of like an improv sketch. So um, it's like they do a sketch, and then in the middle of the sketch, there's a card trick. I mean, I I miss when as an entertainer you had to be able to do all of these things, like these. You know, the, you needed m a multiple skill sets. I feel like it's like a va a vaudeville tradition. It's very vaudeville. They also sing the charlatans. So that was the first one we saw. And then we saw uh, the second guy was amazing. He made cards fly around him in a way that I have no idea what he was doing or how he did it. I mean, I think that was the real amazing thing was I was just like, oh, I guess I've probably never, maybe once I've seen magic in real life. I think I went to a Penn and Teller show as a kid. I also went to the Penn and Teller show. I went yeah. to the Broadway show, the Penn and Teller that's Broadway show. That's, I think, show. also what I saw. But that's like a very theatrical... It's very theatrical. This is like, I don't know, it makes you want to be a magician real bad because it seems like such a weird, uh, clubby kind of, like everybody knows each other and they're all trading, trading tricks. But yeah, the second guy made cards fly around the room in a way I just literally have no idea how he did it. And he was doing the thing where he goes, like, shows you that there's no strings by passing his hand over and under the card. And it is just makes you stupid with amazement, which is great. You're just like, how the fuck did he do that? I have no idea. So then you have to go eat dinner. Uh, that's part of the Magic Castle experience is you have to eat dinner at their restaurant, which was way better than I expected. But it's like everybody has to order an entree. It's very weird. And somebody got proposed to next to us? No. Yes. <laughs> no. In the form of a magic trick <laughs> in a setup where they 
somebody came over and pretended they were doing like table magic or that they were like, oh, we need a photograph for the new magic gazette and you just sit, sit here. And the guy who was doing the magic trick uh, looked just like the guidance counselor from Freaks and Geeks. How many people in this place look like the guidance counselor? They all look like that. David Gruber Allen. Yes. Shout out to David Gruber Allen. Look like David Gruber Allen or Ricky Jay. (laughs) I'm I'm not shocked. That's what everybody looks like. And uh, a lot of like loud suits and stuff, which I'm into. But uh, David Gruber Allen, guy who's, I don't know what his actual name was, but he was set up a magic trick for this couple. And then I assume he like produced a ring out of her ear or something. Uh, and they got engaged right there, and everybody was applauding, and it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, I guess that makes sense if you are magic aficionados. I feel like that would be a way to make your relationship disappear <laughs> if you wanted to get out of this somehow. You're like, I proposed to her at the magic castle, and she's like, really? She seemed very happy. They also looked like 19. Okay. But they then also came to the 11.30 p.m., big room magic show that we all went to so you know we just got to we were like oh you got engaged and now you get to watch this magic that we're also going to watch and you know we were sort of like are we going to stay for an eleven thirty p.m magic show on a thursday and the answer was like well we're here we have to like when we made it back, here yeah. when am i going to be back uh and that was the best decision i've ever made in my life because the the final show that we saw was like the greatest magic I've ever seen. Not that I've seen a lot of magic, but it was just like mind blowing and all I could talk about for the rest of my life. It was three magicians who are friends and they were like, Oh, this is great. Cause like we're all in town. So we decided to do this together. Um, there is a magician named Kevin James, not the comedian Kevin James, but a different Kevin James who I'd seen on like a TV show, magic TV show. Because I watch a lot of magic TV also. Yeah, it's coming out that you actually are more of a I'm fan of magic. I'm kind of a magic huge magic fan, I think. Uh, there's a more than casual magic Well, there's fan. a TV show. Penn and Teller have a TV show right now called Penn and Teller Fool Us. That okay. is like everybody at the Magic Castle knows about because it's the, the number one thing on TV involving magic right now. But it's like a talent show where magicians come on and do tricks. And if they can't figure out how the trick works, they have been fooled. Oh, okay. So you're trying to fool Penn and Teller. You're trying to fool Penn and Teller, and when they know what how the trick works, they say it in a way that like your layperson can't understand necessarily. They'll be like, "Oh, did you have multiple outs?" And the person will be like, "No," and they'll be like, "Oh, then you fooled us." You know, like they use magician terminology. Slang, terminology. They're like, "Oh, that looks like a very basic, yeah. like a fangborn." Exactly. Like, just, yeah. They're not giving it away to the audience. They're just giving it away. They're just talking magician to magician. You're clearly using Mike Kelty's theorem there. Exactly. And like, they're like, oh, you got oh, me. Oh, you like, did it. Just, yeah. 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 So Kevin James looks like, he dresses like Dr. Strangelove, which is great. He wears like like a white kind of lab coat almost, like a white suit and then little like scary round glasses. And he was amazing. He does a trick where he makes a paper napkin turn into snow and then like snows on the audience in little paper pellets. Yeah. And uh, they just opened the show by pulling a dog out of something and then pulling a bunny out of the dog. <laughs> okay. So I was like... <laughs> Sold. Just, just... Yeah. Just, just done. Yeah, mind just, blown. It's amazing. 
And yeah, and they really seemed like friends also, which is like seemed like they were kind of like goofing around with each other and having a good time and enjoying watching each other's tricks. And that was very maybe. Yeah, maybe be like, let's all be magicians. I feel like there's not I mean, you you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. You, Molly or magicians listening out there, get on the Twitter and come at me about it. But I, I feel like this is this feels like a profession that people are not going into in the way that there's always new bands or something. You would think that, but if you go to the Magic Castle, it's clear that there's like a lot of magicians in Los Angeles. Right, the young the young generation of magicians. Like, and I think it's just out. a lot of people who do other stuff also get into magic. Like there's a lot of comedy magic overlap, I imagine. They also have something like that's like the junior magicians program. That's like, if you're a kid and you really want to join the Magic Castle, like first you have to do an audition where you prove you're good enough at magic and then you can go there. It is it is its own whole world. Because that's that I like that that exists because I feel like that there's a a sort of a community for kid magicians. I feel like that is that is one of uh, speaking as somebody who participated in many of the varieties of nerddom as a kid. Surprise. I know. It's one of the most tragic forms of nerddom. Yes, but they still exist. Um, all the magicians are dudes, which me and my friend are a little bit like, hey, where are the lady magicians at? Ladies need skills to make people talk to them that otherwise could not t- get anyone to talk to them, which is what I assume magic is mostly for. Right. I mean, I guess, yeah, somewhat, I guess you could say ladies already have that skill that no. they get talked to unwantedly. No. Mm. It seems like it goes the other yes, way. Yes, but like, Wouldn't what you want if magic you had... to make people go away? Right, but like, what if you could make people go away if just someone starts talking to you, you just like throw a bunch of cards at them yes. and you're like, psh, I'd vanished. That's you wanting to be Gambit. But, like, <laughs> but I will say there was a lot of like magic card throwing that did make me think about Gambit and how Gambit is cool. I mean, you look, this is one of the central controversies. Of You're going to come Hollywood. back from the Magic Castle and be like, Molly, you were right. You're right. Gambit's totally possible. Gambit's that's cool. real. That's it basically is. real. This guy was like <laughs> making happen. cards fly in the air. But I think that's I think that's an important thing to say. I think we should say to the Magic Castle, why are all the women assistants? Well, they're not even I mean, there are some assistants. Also, there's a documentary that you can buy there called Women in Boxes. That friend of the podcast, Emily Yoshida, bought for me when she went. And it's about sort of the history of like women being magicians assistants and about female magicians. And it's very good. Um, Also, my greatest fear in life is being sawn in half on stage. I don't know if I've talked about this. No. Oh, that's my biggest fear. Is it the on stage aspect or the sawing? It's the on stage aspect. It's not. My fear is not being sawn in half in a basement. It's being sawed in half on stage in front of an audience who doesn't know that it's really happening. Oh, so like there would be so, some kind of a twist, like yeah. A, yeah they are okay. all applauding and cheering because they think it's a magic trick, and I'm dying because <laughs> a magician is sawing <laughs> me in half. I mean, I think you're in luck because that's probably more unlikely to happen. Yeah, but like, like I went to the magic castle. Yeah, but it's not like if your greatest fear is snakes, you might see a snake. Like it's rare that someone's going to be like, we're going to replace the fake saw with a real saw, and then Columbo will have to solve this mystery. Like. How rare is it? I guess it happens I constantly on TV shows. Yeah, it's weird that I'm trying to lull you into a false sense of security <laughs> about this. I would also accept being on the spinning wheel, the knife throwing wheel. Anything where I'm being killed on stage and everyone thinks it's a magic trick. That's my fear. <laughs> it's very is, specific. That is the greatest, greatest fear I've ever heard. Yeah, so... Magic. There was one Belgian magician in the final show, and he kept throwing 
like after he'd do a trick, he would just throw confetti out of his pocket and go, magic. <laughs> it's great. And so I can't stop saying that all the time. Every time I do anything, I'm like, magic. Magic. <laughs> it was so good. How does it work? Nobody knows. No. Well, yeah. I mean, there's that magician. There was that guy who oh, revealed I watched all the secrets. The whole show. That's on Netflix right now, and I watched the entire. The Magician's Secrets Revealed show. That was Mitch Pileggi, right? No, Under Mitch Pileggi's the narrator. Oh, okay. He's not the magician. He's the magician not... is masked, and then at the end of the show, he takes off his mask, and he's like, some guy. I'm just a magician. Like, he's like, I wanted to give away all the tricks because I thought it would help get more people into magic, because like magicians hated that guy. Sure. Because he gave away magician trade secrets. Um. Anyway, then I ended up watching a documentary about Houdini when I got home, Uh which was great. Uh, I learned a lot about Houdini I didn't know. For example, that he was Jewish, which kind of explained everything. Yeah, wasn't he, he was like a, wasn't he like Houdin or something? He was like a yeah, French Jew. Yeah, he was like a kind of... Hungarian or something. But I was like, why is he always trying to escape from stuff? Oh, that's why. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's just you never know when you might it might come in handy again. Yeah, and I, I actually just learned a lot about Houdini that he was like world famous by the time he was twenty five. He like came to America and got famous in America, and then went back to Europe to spread magic. But he's the most famous magician of all time, probably. Yeah, he's kind of the he's kind of the gold standard. And he was trying to he was obsessed with the occult too, like yes. the occult side of magic. He was trying to like do he would do trying to talk to his mother, right? Wasn't that whole thing? I he think was trying he to was talk a, across the spirit. The, no, I think he was against spirit communication. I believe he was a big debunker of oh. seance type stuff and that he had like a feud with like Helena Blavatsky or whatever her name is who was the big famous medium of the time but they do a Houdini séance at the Magic Castle this was my my one time I almost went to the Magic Castle was I met the guy who did the séance when I worked at a grocery store struck up a conversation and he was like if you ever want to come to the Magic Castle here's my card but they do a Houdini séance where they summon Houdini using things that belong to him but it's all sort of a meta joke about how Houdini was against seances because he knew they were fake uh, so that you have to plan, but there is a female magician who runs one of those, Misty Lee. So let's all go to a seance. I'm there. Podcasts are like a seance. We all sit around a dark room around a table. And hear voices. Hear voices. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you are recording in an improperly soundproofed booth, as, as we are, you will occasionally hear mysterious voices from upstairs. So magic Magique. is the best. Magic. We'll be right back with magic. Welcome back to North Mollywood. For the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk about a TV show Alex and I both really like, Vice Principles. That a lot of people seem lukewarm on, and that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it, even though it's, you know, we're not alerting you to the existence of well, this show. Well, there's two more weeks left. Which yes. Is which sad, is yeah, it's sad. Yeah, it's short. Because it gets better every week, in my humble opinion. It is great, I think. Uh, Danny McBride. 
and Walton Goggins, who we were watching the show last night, my wife and I, and we we're just talking about like I we now want to see them together forever. They just need to become it needs to be like Ackroyd and Belushi or you know something like that where they're just in stuff. Did you watch um, it on HBO Go by any chance? I did not. Okay, because at the end there was something called Vice Principals Extra Credit where it was like real Danny McBride and Walton Goggins not in character just like talking about the episode for a second and their real hairstyles are <laughs> even sillier than their characters yeah which I couldn't believe like uh Danny McBride has like a really beautiful jerry curl and Walton Goggins has kind of this crazy like rooster hair it's like his hair but it's like all teased up and I was like that's what they look like and like regularly like I feel like I interviewed Danny McBride one time and he told me that one of the hardest things about doing Eastbound and Down and now this and kind of doing everything he does basically is that his I forget if it was his girlfriend or his wife at the time, but that that he's she has had to live with him having the worst haircuts that like it went from like the you know the mullet in the beginning of eastbound to the cornrows in season two it's like it just does not get better. I like all of him. those hairstyles on him. They It works, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the the wig that he's got going. It's a real sort of like just sad wig. He's got the saddest pants in this show. Oh, it's so real. Like those slacks with the with the running shoes. Oh, and, yeah, it's so correct. Yeah, I mean, what what we've been saying kind of about Vice Principals is that it's the show to punish fans of Eastbound and Down for finding Kenny Powers cool and relatable <laughs> by just having the two worst people in the world who are so funny and so sad and pathetic and uh, nothing generally goes right for them. And when it does, you're kind of upset. <laughs> so yes, they are two vice principals who uh, are both sort of in line for the uh, princip- principality. <laughs> for the, they're in line to be the principal of the high school where they have worked. And instead, a new principal, Dr. Belinda Brown, played by Kimberly Gregory, who is great in this, like, we should really say this is Walton Goggins, Danny McBride, and Kimberly Gregory because she's really good and, like, has to hold her own against these two goofballs playing a real person. And that's not easy. And she's actually, she does amazing stuff every week. The whole cast is fantastic. Uh, Busy Phillips is great as his ex-wife. And then Shay Wiggum. Shay Wiggum. Is amazing. Shay Wiggum in this show makes up for every other time that... HBO just like puts an HBO person in stuff just because there are other like the HBO actor recycling. Well, Shea Wiggum thing. is all over HBO, but he... no, I know. But this him being in this, like, I'm I forgive them for every other time. Well, I love that he's like he's like the new stepdad, but it's like he's really nice, you know, like like uh, Gamby, who's the Danny McBride character, wants to sort of he's, he feels like they're enemies, but then it's like every time he tries to do something. Shea Wiggum's like, oh, great job. He's nothing but nice. Ray, it's just, I believe, is his character's yeah. name. Uh, so I'm a big fan of the show. It's really dark and weird and a lot of 80s movie stuff going on this week, especially was very Breakfast Clubby, which they talked about in the, the bonus thing I saw. They said, yeah, we were just doing 80s movies that we love. And then last week's episode was my favorite, the uh, motocross episode which featured sort of your classic training montage, getting the stunt right. He does a wheelie, calls it going 12 o'clock. And then he does not execute the wheelie at the big motocross rally. And it is so heartbreaking. And then his daughter says, Dad, you're ruining this for me. (laughs) 
Uh, and the actress who plays the daughter is also amazing. She's like a, kind of exactly like the actor who played the nephew on Eastbound and Down. Just like a little kind of awkward looking kid who feels like a real person. Really well cast. Really kids. well cast as the kid of Danny McBride and Busy Phillips. Like yeah. Perfectly cast. Dr. Brown has two sons and the older son is just okay. The younger son is oh, amazing. They're both amazing. That guy is a star. That they kid were is great going places. This week also. But my big vice principal's theory, which I chose to believe was confirmed, uh, is that it is Macbeth because Belinda Brown is Macduff, who will eventually, you know, she's the hero, basically. And then Danny McBride is Macbeth and Walton Goggins is Lady Macbeth because Walton Goggins is sort of this insane person who convinces you to do insane things because they're just very convincing and also crazy <laughs> right like they're both like full of hate yeah you know, they're both like salty about being passed over for this thing but walton goggins is the one who's always sort of giving danny mcbride like just goading him into doing more terrible things like he's the one who's clearly like like may actually be he's tyler durden he's like a yes. psychopath who's like been emboldened by this situation to just be crazy yeah and just, you know just break stuff and just sort of you know because he finds somebody else who's willing to go on his path with him that he's like, well, now there's two of us. Yeah. Like, I think it's going, I mean, what I like about this, they've said it's only going to go two seasons and that like, which means, which says to me that they have it figured out. Like, yeah. where, like that is a, a long movie, you know, like Eastbound feels that way too, but like that changed because they kept adding seasons to it. So it, the I story mean, like, I do also feel as though Eastbound could have gone on forever. And if after they finish Vice Principals, they choose to bring back Eastbound and Down with a older, wiser Kenny Powers, I would be fine with that. But I also understand why they want to get away from that or why Danny McBride maybe got tired of being, you know, equivocated to Kenny Powers all the time. Because he's playing a different character. He's playing, I mean, and just watching him go through the falling down, watching him start as like a really just regular guy and then just gradually give in to the dark side is just the most beautiful thing in the world yeah he, he has a core of goodness i think that he, you know that, that kenny powers didn't have like kenny powers would sort of grudgingly accept that the right thing occasionally and like there's there's something about like he wants to think of himself but it's like it, it is a classic Danny McBride character in the sense that it's these guys with like a sense of themselves that's so far removed from the, the reality, reality. <laughs> and it's like this week last week was great this most recent one because like you see that it's a that it takes place on a teacher work day when there's no kids there and so without kids to boss around like he just sort of go, goes to pieces because he like emotionally because he can't actually like that's the only place that he feels self-actualized is by like being given out detention um, it, it it means a lot to me. I rewatched. They reshowed all of uh, Eastbound on HBO in preparation for this, um, which sort of really got me back in that headspace. And I was just like, you know what? Like this may be. He may work within a kind of a relatively narrow frame, Danny McBride. But like, it's there's a lot of nuance inside of there, and he's so good at it. Yeah, he's the best comedy Charles Bronson we could possibly <laughs> ask for. And I love Vice Principals. Oh, my God. Can he remake Death Wish? Yeah, Can he I mean, remake Death Wish with Danny McBride? That's what I'm saying. Any vigilante movie with him. I mean, because I was also... Oh, I'm a huge fan of Observe and Report, which is the Jody Hill movie that is like a another movie about just a very low-stakes 
sad kind of power grab. Yeah, and another. I mean, that would have worked as a TV show if you could have lived yeah. with that character. Oh, somehow. I, I like, mean, that character again was just like, you know, I think they're very good at sort of uh, satirizing repressed white male rage. <laughs> Uh, which also Will Ferrell is very good at. It's sort of making it look really stupid while drawing attention to how it's just everywhere all the time. And Danny McBride is just really good at playing the sort of like silent majority, like yeah. sad, sad sack guy who really feels like he deserves more in life. But does he? <laughs> yeah, no, it's this thing of like, I, I think these shows both like Eastbound, watching Eastbound today in the midst of, you know, Trump's America and all yeah. that stuff and, like, all these sort of... This, this confrontation that we're having with, like, the reality that there is a huge swath of, of white and mostly male Americans who feel like things are, like, things that are rightfully theirs have been... are being ripped yeah. away from them. Like, these are really good shows about that without being about that, you know? Like, they don't... You can't satirize Trump directly because it's just no, too and good, they, but, like... They're affectionate about the South, but also really hard on the South and hard on casual racism, I I think. I mean, I think people are also sort of unsettled by these shows because they're not sure how to read them sometimes. They're like, are we supposed to like these guys? Are we supposed to go, you know, agree with them when they say something really fucked up? And it's like, no, not at all. They're not, they're they're the villains. And, and Belinda Brown, the principal, is clearly the hero. Um, and I... I was just very excited. There was a moment last week where she sees Walton Goggins, uh, Lee Russell is his character's name, and she sees him spitting in her coffee, and that's like the moment she realizes that they've been plotting against her. Even though several episodes earlier he actually burned down her house. He burned down her house, and she's going to find out. (laughs) But it's also like now I'm kind of like, oh, I want them to all be friends, and then she's going to find out they burned down her house and be... Yeah, not happy. I think what's gonna I, my theory is that uh, like that it's going to end up is a, this this is actually a battle for Danny McBride's soul, you know, for Gamby's soul, and Gamby's going to have to choose. He's going to have to decide. Like there is he, Lee Russell will have to be stopped in some way, and Gamby will have to be the one to do it, even though it will cost him, you know, something great in his yeah, you know, his, yeah, whole, yeah. his whole thing. I'm I'm really looking forward to it, and I, I just I see people just not being as excited about it because it's not Eastbound and it's not as outrageous. It's a lot smaller it's like, i mean also it's like you know for me i'm like hey you know it shows way better than stranger things on the 80s movie <laughs> um tip is vice principals but that's why i will always be a cult favorite and not the most successful netflix show of all time <laughs> and worst see you next week on north mollywood This episode of North Mollywood was produced by Michael Catano, Mukta Mohan, and Kasia Mihailovich for the MTV Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at MTV Podcasts, and subscribe to this and other MTV Podcasts on iTunes.